God said that his people, well, they committed public harlotry. Really? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are learning about the cultures in the past and what they did to violate God's precedence. We need to pay attention to that. We're going to talk about it in five minutes as we continue to study Hosea. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? Hosea specifically mentions the city of Mizpah, so we're focusing on that today. Ryan? Today I'm finishing my brief overview of the Minor Prophets, which includes Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Malachi is probably one of my favorites. I love Malachi. He is an excellent, Malachi 3 is an excellent verse. Anyway, what are you doing? Today, my segment is called Draw Near to God. All right, so take your Bible guide out and take your Bible, the world's best-selling book. Let's open it up and let's see and hear what God is saying to us right now. Hosea 5, 1 through 7. Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For yours is the judgment. Because you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Hosea chapter 5, Hosea chapter 6, Hosea chapter 7. That's what we read in our assignments as we go through the Bible. It's interesting, you know, how easy it is to cast blame towards God. So often the evils we blame God for are thrown at us by our own systems of government or leadership. Sometimes we blame God for the death of a friend or a loved one. But does this reveal a correct understanding of who God is? You see, the Bible speaks about the Lord very clearly. With the help of God's Holy Spirit, as we read the Bible, we can better understand what the Lord has said to humanity. There are many people who believe that our origins had nothing to do with God. It's true. But that we are simply a product of time and chance. But the Bible, on the other hand, speaks clearly about God's creation, tells us why he made us and how deep and great his love is for us. We have largely rejected the Bible and then wonder why God lets things happen to us. 
We have a double standard. We're upset with God because he lets things happen in our land, our society. Yet we don't want God around when we're making decisions about the future laws. Lack of the knowledge of God is a key part of the world's pain. Lack of the knowledge of God. It's a key part of the world's pain. Now that's interesting, isn't it? You know, today, as we begin our study, I just want to ask you to take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. If you're on the list, you will have got the September guide already. But if you're not on the Bible guide list, my question is, why not? We can get you on. Call us or write to us. It's very important. And uh, we simply ask that you give a gift in any amount. Doesn't matter what the amount is. God will speak to you. Whatever the gift is, it helps us, however big or however small. Doesn't matter. And as you give, God will supply the need and he'll multiply, he'll make it work somehow. And we'll send you uh, the Bible guide. Now, if you really want to get fast at this, you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com because BibleDiscoveryTV.com is a picture of the Bible guide. And if you click on it, it takes you to a donate page where you can make your donation. Thank you. And then you can go to the PDF file and download it right on the spot. Now, this is particularly interesting for people who are overseas. Uh, and, and that's what I would say. So uh, that's a really good way to get the Bible guide. Today, we're talking about God's way. I can't think of a better time than to talk about God's way from the Bible. This is what we learned. This is the word of God. The 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years yet, all with the same theme. Now, Father, I pray today that we would hear your word, that you would speak to us and that we wouldn't be looking in here to, to find our ideas, but that our ideas would shift with your thoughts. These are your words, Holy Spirit. Show us your ways. Teach us your paths. This is what we pray, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Amen means make it so. Isn't that great? I love that. Make it so, Lord. Uh, Hosea chapter 5 he begins this way. This is interesting. Hear this, O priest. That's what he says. Hear this, O priest. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For yours is the judgment because you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. Uh, th this is incredible. He's talking about the leaders. The revolters are deeply involved. Slaughter through the rebuke of them all. I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds towards turning to their God. For the spirit of harlotry is in them, and they do not know the Lord. Now, this brings me to the first point. Now, listen carefully. God said that his people had committed public harlotry, public harlotry. Beloved, remember, we must return to the Lord before any blessing can come on our countries. Everybody talks about, oh, God bless America. God bless Canada. God bless Australia. God bless. God doesn't bless anything that he does not possess. Does he possess those countries? It's a good question. We need to come back to the Lord. Come to Jesus. We got to do that. Very important. 
Beloved, as we think that through, let's go to the next one. Five and six. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them, with their flocks and their herds. They shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. Hmm. Their pride and their failure of Israel. Leaders, Israel's leaders to teach God's law to the people is their own downfall. The pride and their failure, the failure of Israel's leaders to teach God's law to the people is their downfall. Beloved, to be prideful is dangerous. You know, there's a reason why Timothy is told by Paul, run away from pride. Don't let pride get into your life because pride is dangerous. When somebody says, I think I can do what I want to do, I did it my way. Not sure that's a good way. I would say this. I didn't do it my way. I tried to do it his way, God's way. That's a key factor. And so as we think this through and learn, let's trust the Lord. Let's try to do it his way. That's what the Bible says, and that's what I believe. Back to verse 7. This is interesting. Seven verses here as we look at this. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage, beloved. Hosea is so right when he says this. Israel and Judah have willfully forgotten God, willfully forgotten God, beloved. Listen carefully. Our willful choice of doing our own thing, our own way, will cause us to fail in many ways. Doing our own thing, our own way, the celebration of freedom. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. It's not what the Bible says. No, it's not. The Bible says that the disciples of Christ did things his way. In fact, they left their professions and followed the Lord, and he made them fishers of men. In fact, 11 of them, we believe, were terminated, were killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. In fact, God calls us to follow him. Now, that's not a terribly hard way. God will bless us and help us as we go along. But we need to keep in mind that we don't serve the Lord because he helps us. We serve the Lord because if we don't serve the Lord, there is a really bad consequence. And it's called hell. Hell is real, and it's in the afterlife. Beloved, there's two choices, heaven or hell. And if we love Jesus and have accepted him in our life, we've chosen heaven, and I encourage you to do that today. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Huh. 
Hosea chapter 5, verse 1 mentions two sites specifically. It says, You have been a snare. At Mizpah, a net spread out on Tabor. So we are going to be focusing in specifically on Mizpah because Mizpah had a very deep history uh, with Israel in the Bible. Take a look. The place named Mizpah means watchtower, and there were a few biblical locations named this. First, Mizpah was used as another name for the pile of stones set up by Jacob and Laban in Genesis 31. This location was east of the Jordan River and may be why a later city here was called Mizpah. The later city was where the judge of Israel, Jephthah, made his home. The second Mizpah mentioned in scriptures is a valley that saw warfare from Joshua in the very north of Israel. Another Mizpah, called Mizpah of Moab, was a city outside of Israel where King David took his parents for protection. The fourth Mizpah is the most significant biblically and the one that has likely been identified archaeologically. This Mizpah was a city in the territory of Benjamin. In the Bible, Mizpah of Benjamin was an important place of gathering and worship. In Judges, outraged tribes gathered here before the Lord. In 1 Samuel, the prophet and judge not only gathered the Israelites here, it was a city on a circuit that he visited regularly, and here he anointed Saul, the first king of Israel. Later in the scriptures, King Asa of Judah fortified Mizpah to defend himself against northern Israel. And while the prophet Hosea condemns the people for apostate worship, he cites Mizpah as a place where they'd engaged in idolatry. Still later, after the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, Mizpah was turned into Judah's new Babylonian capital, and it even became home to the prophet Jeremiah. When the exiles returned to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem, men from Mizpah are listed as helping construct the wall. This Mizpah of Benjamin is believed by most to be located at a site eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. Located on a major north-south road, here Mizpah would have had firm control over traffic to Jerusalem, a major incentive for King Asa to make it formidable. Archaeological excavations that were carried out here reveal a history that works hand-in-hand with the Bible. Remains from the time period of the Judges showed that the city was inhabited when the Bible says Israel and Samuel were gathering there. In the next period of the kings, the city saw a massive refortification process that replaced the old city wall with a new one. The new wall was 15 feet thick, plastered, included 11 towers, and a smooth sloped area down to a lower retaining wall, and at least in some areas, a dry moat. This new wall and its double gate complex are identified as Asa's upgrades to the city. A rich history from the Babylonian exile period has been unearthed as well. A palace, larger houses, and jars that may point to its use as an administration center. A unique signet seal from this time was also found bearing the name Jazaniah, servant of the king. This may be the seal of the Jazaniah mentioned in 2 Kings 25 and Jeremiah 40, verse 8. Now, despite its deep and rich history with Israel, what Hosea is saying here specifically in chapter 5, verse 1, is that pagan practices, idolatry, apostasy, the mixing of pagan religion with the worship of God had gone on both at Mizpah and Tabor. And specifically, Hosea is calling out the priests of Israel uh, and the royal house of Israel for for uh, really 
propelling the culture towards these practices and really endorsing these practices. And what's interesting uh, is that when they say, when when Hosea says to them, you have been a snare at Mizpah, a net spread out on Tabor, these traps, uh, it's it's a pun that's meant to grab our attention. So in Hebrew, that word snare, uh, the Hebrew word that sounds like snare, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I do not speak ancient Hebrew, even even close biblical Hebrew, but that that sound is contained in in the word mizpah at the very end of the word and the same for a, a net spread out the 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 sound of that word is also contained in tabor so it's really interesting how the prophets utilized uh you know puns like this to really punch home their message to the people it would have made it much more memorable uh so that people had the best chance of understanding what was going on. And I think that we need to remind everybody that the the display <clears throat> of other religions was very dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, child sacrifice. I mean, it, it, it was brutality was unbelievable in that. I mean, there's so so many things we yeah. can talk about. Yeah, well, and, and even just the fact, even if those things didn't exist, which they did, but even if those practices weren't so terrible, it was still going against the covenant yes. that they people had made with God, and it was still being unfaithful to him for no reason. It was still a travesty. And they, they lost their grip on God, mm-hmm. and God had to respond, which he did. Very interesting, right? All right, well, in continuation of our study from yesterday, I want to conclude with a final summary of the 12 minor prophets. Who were they? When did they live? To whom did they prophesy? Answering questions like these will help put their books and lives in context. Now, on yesterday's program, we already talked about Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah. And so today we finish off with Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Micah and go through each of the remaining prophets book by book. Although the last 12 books of the Old Testament are attributed to men we call minor prophets, this does not refer to their importance, but rather to the length of their ministry and books. In fact, these men were critically important instruments of God. One of these key prophets was Micah of Moresheth, Known as the poor people's prophet, He ministered in the days of kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He preached to both the northern and southern kingdoms, and like Amos, Micah came from the rural countryside. So while the prophet Isaiah was in Jerusalem addressing the king and international affairs, Micah was a country prophet who was deeply sensitive to the social issues that affected the small towns and villages throughout Judah. Following Micah is Nahum. Though no specific date is given for his book, it is probably safe to assume that he prophesied during the middle of the 7th century BC. Nahum has been called the poetic prophet because his prophecy is written in the form of a poem which describes the sacking of Nineveh. As a matter of fact, Nahum is a sequel to Jonah. Over a century earlier, Jonah had preached against Nineveh, who at that time repented. However, by this time, they had again returned to their evil ways, and though God sent them Nahum, this time they did not listen. Habakkuk, another of God's faithful prophets, ministered sometime before the fall of Judah in 586 BC, possibly in the late 7th century. Although rebellious and wicked Judah thought it unthinkable that God would allow his temple to be taken, God informed his prophet that if they didn't repent, he would certainly destroy it. Shortly thereafter, 
Babylon invaded. Habakkuk could be called the praying prophet because the central theme of his book is wrapped up in his final prayer of chapter 3, and his book implies that he wrestled long hours with God in prayer. Zephaniah, one of the last of the pre-exilic prophets, ministered during the reign of the godly Judean king Josiah. In fact, he most likely had a tremendous influence on Josiah and spurred on his great reforms. Zephaniah was probably also the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. If so, then Zephaniah and Josiah were related. Following the return of the Israelites to their land, we find the prophetic duo of Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai prophesied for just four months in the year 520 BC, while Zechariah preached from 520 to 518 BC. Many scholars believe Haggai's ministry was so short because of his great age. Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 might suggest that he had seen Solomon's temple before it was destroyed, which would make him at least 70 years old at the time of his prophecy. But now the Jews had been back from the Babylonian exile for almost 20 years, and they still hadn't rebuilt Jerusalem's temple. So Haggai and Zechariah worked together to inspire the people to finish it. The final prophet of the Old Testament is Malachi, whose writing is dated to sometime after 450 BC. Because Malachi simply means messenger of the Lord, it isn't known whether this was the prophet's actual name. Nevertheless, his book is a fitting ending to the Old Testament because it summarizes Israel's sins, calls them to a further repentance, and points them to the coming Savior. So that concludes our study of the 12 minor prophets, and as I mentioned at the end of the segment, Malachi perfectly caps off the Old Testament. Think about it. The Old Testament opened with a man in the garden, free from sin and happy in his creator. It closes with fallen man, miserable and unhappy under a curse. Had the Bible closed on that scene, we would be living in a dark and despairing world. But thank God there is a New Testament that tells of a Savior who redeems mankind to himself. A loving Christ erases the miserable failures of man. Thank God our Bible doesn't end at Malachi. Thank God there's a New Testament or a new covenant or a new way to look at things uh, because of Jesus Christ. It's fully right. God and fully man. Uh, that's excellent. Draw near to God is what I titled my segment today. You'll have to excuse my voice. I'm struggling a little bit in that area. So um, thank you for putting up with that. Draw near to God. You know, chapter five of Hosea is on the impending judgment on Israel and Judah. Now, although God knew all about Ephraim, he mentions it in verse three. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. You know, they did not know him. Israel's many evil actions had so imprisoned them to sin that they were far from God. I liked how Rod put it earlier, they had lost their grip. They really had lost their grip. And that's something that I think is very tragic. And um, the key verse here, Hosea 5 verse 6, it says, With their flocks and herds they shall go and seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. And that's what happens. God is as close as the mention of his name. He is there. He is with us. But we need to draw near to him or we will lose our grip. We will be far from God. And this is the drawing. This is the lesson. This is what I want to highlight to us today because it is very easy in this very busy, in this very loud world that we're living in right now where everybody has their idea. Um, Emotions are 
up and down and all over the place. We need to draw near to God. James 4 verses 7 through 10. It talks about humili uh, humility, how that cures worldliness. Listen to what James says to us here. Therefore, submit to God. Come to him. Submit to him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Did you hear that? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's an action. It's a desire that we have to have. And we don't have to make ourselves right. We can't. We can never make ourselves right enough to come before God. And you know what? It's like the same thing that we read here, that he knew all about Ephraim. He knew everything that Israel was doing. He's the same with you and he's the same with me. He knows everything we've done, are doing. He knows what we think. He knows all of that. He knows all of that, and he accepts us now the way we are to come to him now so that he can fill us, that he can lead us and direct us, and that we can live a life more abundantly here. Does that mean we're not, we're not going to have any troubles anymore? We're going to be perfect people? No, it won't. But we have God who will be near to us that we can call on in times of trouble, that we can learn his word and follow that. Not just learn it, not just read it, but get it into our hearts and not just leave it there, but to let that help us live our daily lives. So resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It goes on and it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's all of us. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he, he will lift you up. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. Let's draw near to God. Let's not be said about us that he has withdrawn himself from you or from me. Let's take that action every day. Set aside time to spend with your God. Spend time in his word and learn to love him even more and more. You know, every day grows sweeter than the day before when you live and follow Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We have a prayer meeting on a regular basis, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 Eastern time in the United States of America. And so why don't you join us, uh, whatever time that is in Europe or whatever time that is, wherever you're at, I invite you to join us. Very, very important. Today, we need to pray. Lord, we pray that you would teach us your way and show us your paths. Help us to understand what that means and help us to follow your Holy Spirit, the words he has repent to us in Jesus' name. Amen.